Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's the Autosport Podcast. We explain how Lewis Hamilton went from zero to hero, while Sebastian Vettel went the other way. Two weeks ago, Sebastian Vettel won on Lewis Hamilton's home patch at Silverstone, but Hamilton returned the favour with an unlikely victory in the German Grand Prix to take the lead in the World Championship, and what a race it was. Absolutely amazing. I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to work out exactly how Hamilton and Mercedes did it is F1 Racing's James Roberts. Now, James, first, have you recovered from the the stress and the intensity of writing the autosport.com and motorsport.com immediate post-race report yet? Well, I have indeed, because that was a tremendous race. Uh, my goodness, there was so much action. All, all, uh, all, all day we were thinking, is the rain going to start falling? And finally, when it did come, there was cars spinning everywhere. There was controversies with the pit stops that we'll talk about in a minute and, and race leader crashing out. And through it all came Lewis from the back of the grid. So what a, what a day and what a Grand Prix. That's why you're now relaxing with a with a, a glass of your, your chosen beverage. 
in our in our fine palatial apartments near the track. Well, this is a very pleasant uh, environment to be doing this podcast with you this evening, Ed. Uh, just a few hours after the end of the race, it's it, it has finally dried up now. But yes, we're in a residential uh, village not far from the university town of Heidelberg, 15 minutes from the famed Hockenheim circuit. We're in the uh, Rhine Valley, so um, it's a it's a lovely part of the world, and what a great place to have a motor race. Exactly, there's probably a slogan in that one, isn't there? It's always good to get a little travel log and reviews in that because people uh, people certainly do enjoy that. Well, let's let's move on to the race without further ado. It was a big turnaround for Lewis Hamilton, wasn't it? Saturday, all had gone wrong. Starting 14th on the grid, a few hours after, he's, he's winning the race. Amazing. You almost question yourself, how on earth did he do it? Where, where did he produce that performance from? Because it, it is undoubtedly one of the best performances that we've seen from Lewis Hamilton. Uh, to go, as you said right at the start, Ed, for Vettel to win at Silverstone and then for then Lewis to do it, um, uh, to get one over Seb here, it's extraordinary. Consider where Lewis was yesterday afternoon and yesterday where his head was down. He had that problem with his with his car during qualifying and then a very measured race in the early stages, slowly picking cars off all the way through and then when the conditions changed, and the grip levels were low. It was just classic Lewis who was able to um, uh, produce a, a performance that has taken him now into um, into a 17-point lead in the World Championship. Quite an extraordinary day, really. Well, it is amazing also if you just look at his demeanour. I mean, OK, Saturday was a bad day, Sunday was a great day. So, of course, there's a difference in his demeanour. But if you remember, when he had the problem in qualifying in Q1, he, he pulled over, helped push the car out of the way, and he, he kind of crouched down between mm, the side yeah. pod and the front right wheel, had his arm resting on the on the car and his head on it, and he just looks absolutely disconsolate, just thinking, how, how, how can this happen? And, you know, he said after the race, yeah, you always go into the race hoping and praying for, for something to happen and that it might come to you. But, you know, th- this, this is very rare. I think there have been 12 instances in World Championship history of drivers winning from 14th on the grid or lower. That's in, I think, 987 World Championship races. So just over 1% of the time, I think it's 1.25% of the time, something like that. So that tells you how unlikely it is if you're starting down in 14th to, to be able to come through and, and win the race. Great fortitude, I think, for, on, on his part to be able to recover. Very much so, especially when you consider where he was yesterday. Uh, last night I was looking at his Instagram story because he put a message out there and um, there was a line in it that really struck me. He said... Um, uh, good or bad, I will die before I give in. And uh, this little post, and he was talking about the, the, the problems that he had in qualifying. From talking to uh, the Mercedes team this morning, I was just trying to do a little bit of investigative work to find out exactly what happened. And from what I understand, um, as he came into turn one, uh, as he as he hit the curb, there's a there's a slight vulnerability at the front of the Mercedes in in the steering rack where the um, hydraulic pressure started to leak, just literally as a, as, a, as a result of hitting this curb. Um, we saw a similar thing in Austria, uh, high curbs there, and that's what ultimately led to to retirement. So, what happened is when he hit the curb, the hydraulic fluid started pouring out. He lost 
power steering, and that's what took him much further left over the uh, over the curb, and then you saw the damage there. And as it, and then halfway around the lap, uh, lap he um, uh, ran out of hydraulic pressure and had to stop the car. Extraordinary scenes of him then getting out of the car and trying to push it back to the pits, reminiscent of Alan Prost here, I think, in '86 with with the McLaren pushing the rear wing and then and then trying to drive it back. So um, yeah, so that's so that's what happened to him yesterday. And then um, to see, uh, there was a lot of talk about uh, where was he, where is his mental state. But I I just think, honestly, I I think that in such a competitive world championship title fight that he's in, um, and Mercedes are are finding this as well, that they've got a real um, competitor with Ferrari this year. And uh, it's it's become a real challenge to try and get on top of things. So they'll be delighted, by the way, of the result. I mean, midway through the race, it was a Ferrari 1-2. And then at the end of the race, you've got a Mercedes 1-2. In- extraordinary turnaround. Well, it's exactly what we've almost come to expect from the championship this year. While it's generally required safety cars or adverse weather conditions, or both in the case of this one, to really cause some unpredictability in the races, the swings from race to race and the, the changes in momentum have been enormous. And I think that's one of the reasons why why Lewis was maybe suffering and quite so down, because it, it's... You know, it's really intense. It's been intense from the very start of the season. This hasn't been one of those world championships where, you know, one driver pulls away and builds on a lead and sits on it and then the other one can catch up, no. but they're not too worried. It, 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 it feels like every single race come the end of the year, you could look back and say, well, that race, there was that loss, that loss, that loss. And so in that context, a swing of 25 points in, in Hamilton's favour after such an unfavourable start is is absolutely enormous, which is why he was, why he was so uh, so delighted with things. But... You know, looking at the the race, he executed it extremely well, and yes, it required the rain coming to to really create that opportunity. In fact, he was asked after the race when he realised it was really possible, and he made some he made some noise about well, you always hope, etc., etc., etc. But the moment when I really knew it was possible was when the rain finally came. And in fact, I was listening in on various drivers' radio feeds, and all the teams were telling drivers for about the first forty minutes of the race, "Yep, it's going to rain in five minutes, ten minutes, six minutes." <laughs> And I thought, oh, this is going to be another one of those races yeah, where, it doesn't happen. where the rain never comes. But of course, it does come about 10 minutes after the race when we're all in the paddock trying to find people and, and, uh, and getting soaked. And I, th- I think Lando Norris put on his um, Instagram story a, a great shot of you uh, charging through the rain to the post-race press conference, which uh, was very entertaining. Yeah, I, I gave it a few minutes to ease off and all it was doing was getting worse. So I just had to accept, you know what? I'm going to get soaked because uh, I wanted to get there and uh, and hear what the what the top three uh, we're going to have to say. But yeah, starting down in 14th place, he didn't actually make a make brilliant progress instantly off the line. He had to battle his way through. Lots of uh, positions he was making up. Uh, basically, the midfield aren't that worried about him because there's no point in them spending a few more corners or a few laps bothering Lewis. Lewis cause all, racing, exactly, all they'll do is lose time compared to the uh, the people they're really racing. It took him until lap was that 14. He took um, took Kevin Magnussen to take fifth place, which moved him onto the the back of the big three teams. Of course, Daniel Ricciardo having started down at the back, and he was trying to sort of haul his way up. He was struggling much more on the on the medium tire, wasn't he? He wasn't making anywhere near the progress that Lewis was on the soft. Yeah, I think probably the tire played a part in that, and also the fact that Red Bull hasn't got the same straight line speed. So yeah, it, it was hard work for for Ricciardo who. Kind of gradually hauled himself up the order, and, and he was, uh, he, he, you know, he, he managed to get to sort of the back of that that group, not quite on it, but into a position where he'd have finished. He'd have been the last of the big three drivers had his uh, had his car held out. But yeah, and that, 
and that, and that just sort of created this situation where Hamilton was trying to extend that stint as long as possible in the hope of, of hitting hitting the rain, which we're all just praying for. It's brilliant when rain hits. Oh isn't it? yeah, terrific! It reminded me of that race here in two thousand, where it was raining only on one part of the circuit, but not on the other, and um, I can't remember precisely the details, but Micka pitted for wets and Felipe State. Anyway, I don't know why I'm rambling on about 2000. But I think what we um, we should look at is the is 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 his is the moment where Lewis came into the pits or didn't come into the pits as it happened. And then this was investigated. Charlie Whiting said that they wanted the the, the storm, the thunder, the flood to clear for it to all calm down and then for the stewards to investigate it and and Lewis then um talked them through exactly what happened. Now, I know Ed that um First of all, we've got to say that I think the correct decision was made and that it was just a reprimand. It would have been, I think it would have been criminal for all those people to have gone home and then when they turned on their television to find out that the winner wasn't Lewis Hamilton. So I think I think that, that, that was probably the sensible decision. There is, of course, always the letter of the law argument there and sometimes well, stewards get backed into corners on it because the stewards are told on on the, on the decisions that aren't judgments of fact that kind of thing they have to stand up to legal scrutiny the decisions they make so indeed. some so sometimes you kind of your hands can be tied and there was a danger they could have done that however there, there is a wriggle room on so i guess we should just remind everyone of, of the details of this obviously hamilton made his his first stop under normal conditions he was trying to stretch it to the rain couldn't quite get there tires were, were dead as he put it so they brought him in and he was um he would have been uh, at the back of that group, so he was fifth, and then Verstappen rolled the dice as soon as the rain appeared because yes, he yeah. thought if he'd get on intermediates, it didn't work, but it didn't cost him anything. He still finished fourth in the end. But then we'll come back to, to Vettel's crash shortly, but Vettel crashed, caused the safety car, and then it was, right, you don't have much time to decide because Vettel crashed at the Saxe curve, which is only a few corners round from the from the pit entry. So then you've got... Uh, Bottas, who of course would pass Raikkonen, Bottas, Raikkonen, and then effectively Hamilton is the next car, and they're, they're trying to work out what, what, what to do. And Hamilton was was called into box by Pete Bollington, his race engineer. Bottas uh, stopped first. Bottas, Bottas, well, Bottas led the way into the pits, and yep. Hamilton was meant to follow they didn't him. Have in. tires ready for Double him. Stat- yeah, there was loads of chatter on the radio about what the tires and what compound were to be, and that seemed to, that seemed to contribute to the confusion. So pick it up from the moment Hamilton crosses the the white line dividing the rain track from the pit entry he peels into the pit and then at the very last moment decides not to pit and he crosses the white line he's he's on the right hand side of the bollard which is which is regulatory but then he crosses the white line goes over the grass and rejoins the track and the reason he did that was because he saw that Kimi Raikkonen didn't pit and he didn't want to lose track position to him now in the midst of all that there is extraordinary radio chatter that he's getting mixed messages and signals from his race engineer pete bonnington and ed i think you've got a transcript precisely of what he said and you've worked out how many times he's said a particular <laughs> word haven't you yes yeah, so i've done i've done some counting well hamilton gets called into gets told to box so the normal box 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 instruction that we're all so familiar with so he pulls in and then hamilton says kimmy's staying out so he spotted Riken and stayed out on track at this point hamilton is thinking he, he wants to maybe maybe stay out but i, I think I think Hamilton was quite keen on staying out, but I, I think yeah, I, I think it was the radio communication confusion that created the window of opportunity for him to do it and sort of made him commit to staying out because basically Hamilton says, can he staying out? There's all this other confusion going on on say these radio channels and, and Pete Bonington, his race engineer, appears to basically say, no, stay, stay on. And then he just says in about 
just more it's more than a dozen times he says the word in 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 in, in, in. exactly and I, I get the feeling you know it's always difficult to know exactly what's going on at that moment what seems the more likely interpretation is that hamilton said kimmy's staying out probably pete bonnington thought what 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 does that mean and probably i think he's just trying to say no stick with what you meant what you're doing and come in but he's ended up saying you know sometimes people do use slightly the words and he said no stay and then he stumbles over it and says stay again and of course if you hear the word stay it means stay out so whether hamilton was already thinking about it and, and that yeah, pushed him exactly. over the edge or whether that made him him change it it all led to hamilton driving across the uh, the grass and and rejoining the track and of course um, that was actually the race-winning decision because it's what gave him yep. track position over Valtteri Bottas and, and Kimi Räikkönen and Max Verstappen, who was um, fourth in the, in the run to the end. But then, of course, the investigation. Drama, great drama. So he's called to the stewards uh, following the race and and uh, Charlie Whiting then comes into the media centre and there's a huge crowd around Charlie to try and work out what's going on. And he says, look, I can't tell you the decision because that's in the hands of the stewards. But it which, will- which is often not understood, actually, Charlie Whiting's Indeed, yeah. role. He can, he can flag things up, but he can't make the decisions or whatever he's not he's not actually part of that process that's down to the four stewards one of which of course was Mika Salo who uh, came close to winning a Grand Prix here for Ferrari when he was a stand-in indeed so Charlie was very was put in a difficult position but all he said is look they, they, they can give him a reprimand a, a, a ticking off a five second penalty and he, where did he finish 4.5 4.8 seconds ahead of um, Valtteri Bottas so yes I, it was the gap was about 4.7 oh, rounded up so it would have dropped him behind Valtteri exactly if it was actually, a five second penalty actually Mercedes were telling Hamilton to keep pushing on at one point they said right strap mode five which is one of the I don't know exactly the code to it, but strap mode five crops up when he's pressing on and sometimes turns up in qualifying. So that's a push on thing. And Hamilton says, well, I want to save my engine. And obviously the last thing they want to do is say, we think there might be an investigation into this because it hadn't been mentioned at that time. So they don't want radio communication with them yes. acknowledging it. They don't want to irritate Lewis with some some stuff about it. So they're trying to get Hamilton to, to pull away so that even if there is a penalty, because five second penalty is one of the more likely scenarios. The last time we saw a penalty for this, I think, was Baku in 2016 when Kimi crossed the pit entry line while uh, racing with Ricardo, and then went back onto the track. It wasn't quite the same, but there was a five-second penalty for that, and they were particularly hot on it there at mm. Baku because the pit entry, if yes. you remember that year, was, uh, was, was pretty bad. So the stewards are, are given this. You know, There's no dispute that he, he, he did something that's not legal by the rules is, is there so then it comes down to what is the punishment well that's it i just wanted to say is that um one of the regulations says you cannot cross the white line on on entering the pits and as charlie very carefully and correctly said he didn't enter the pits <laughs> so he did cross that white line but not in the way of entering the pits and so is when you look at how rules are written anyway the stu- i've got the um steward's decision here in front of me and um uh, he, he was basically given a, a reprimand and it was based on a number of mitigating factors we, and I think that the most important thing about this is is safety and they, and they said that uh, the driver and the team candidly admitted it was a mistake and there was confusion about whether to stay in and out so that was one of the mitigating factors there's no lack of evidence for that certainly <laughs> 
the fact that the infringement took place under a safety car period, so speeds are reduced and uh, there is... Um, and then uh, finally, and this I think was the important one, point three, at no time was there any danger to any other competitor and the change in direction was executed in a safe way, which when you consider the Kimi one that you were talking about in Baku, arguably that was a safety concern. Yeah, and I, and I think all these situations are different, and I know there will be some Ferrari fans on social media going, ah, oh, well, look, Kimi got done for this a few years ago, Hamilton hasn't been done, and I, and I think there are differences in, in these incidents. I think particularly Baku, there was a lot of talk the first year about the problem there. There's specific references to it. I had a look back in the 2016 race director's notes that go out to all the teams where they referred directly to the International Sorting Code regulation mm. about... Very high speed. Design, well, yeah. yeah, whereas actually here, this is kind of a normal pit lane, so they weren't quite so quite so worried about it. But yeah, if it was green flag conditions, there was a chance of another car coming on, uh, coming around the final corner in a collision or whatever, it might have been different. Ultimately... I do think you want you want common sense, do you? You don't want Indeed. you don't want to change the race result unless there's a, a good just reason for it. And in fact, my personal view is I tend to lean towards not having so many penalties in general. Um, you know, I think you could have argued, you know, people will be saying, Well, Mercedes should have been penalised and just favouring them, but actually I'd say, Well, we've had recent Ferrari Mercedes collisions on the first lap. I'd sort of lean towards saying, Well, do you know what? They're they're racing in honest mistakes on opening laps. And probably shouldn't be punished. Maybe you give some license points. So if people keep making honest mistakes, they, they get something. But, you know, you, you want to try and minimise the, the, the penalties where possible. And I think it would have been a bit of a travesty for this to have undone. Imagine after we've had this great race everyone's talking about. Yes, no. And then after the race, it's like, oh, actually, yeah, th- this this has happened. So I've, I've got no major problem with it. But it's interesting, though, that basically this was, a, I mean, my interpretation of it, was that Mercedes wanted him in? Hamilton was coming in, and because he heard what he heard, he he uh, he, he bolted back out. So, if that's the case, then Mercedes have kind of made a communication error and stumbled because there's so much going on, and they've been a bit overloaded. And that's actually the correct strategy call to to win in the race, which is a tremendous irony. I mean, to be honest, given the strategy problems they've had this year and the mistakes, you know, okay, they're own their own fault, but the team's been quite beleaguered on that. So you kind of think to them, well, do you know what? We'll, we'll I guess we'll certainly on the Hamilton side we'll uh, we'll let them have this one. Wasn't it interesting after the safety car uh, peeled in when Valtteri Bottas had a real look at Lewis going into the turn six hairpin, didn't he? And and then they drove uh, almost wheel to wheel into the next corner. And I think I thought Valtteri was very sensible there. He didn't drift wide. He could have easily have tried to to take that corner and they could have tangled and and you could argue look um team orders oh is there a place or isn't there a place but perhaps ferrari uh, sorry i beg your pardon perhaps um mercedes were sensible to say stop hold positions and toto wolf told us afterwards that he would have done exactly the same if it was valtteri leading from lewis and it was in that order he said we would have told them stop because we need we they, they need to recoup world championship points it's their home race. Uh, they needed a one-two finish, irrelevant of which drivers around it was. So probably, I think, from a racing perspective, in such a crazy madcap race, uh, I'd have to agree that Mercedes did the right thing to hold, hold station for both cars. It's difficult. Everyone wants to see drivers racing, but at the same time, you do want to be careful. 
about about that kind of thing. Realistically speaking, Bottas had had his best chance because overtaking was very possible, very very difficult. Even uh, you know, even he matched cars uh, in, in that final part of the race. It wasn't easy to to make the passes when there's a big speed difference. It's been possible to do it. So that was always going to be Bottas's best chance. And yeah, I think I agree with you. If he'd been racing a Ferrari, maybe he'd have tried to hang on the inside of yeah, turn maybe, seven, yeah. push the driver wide. But there's a point where you can you can almost imagine the thinking going on as you're watching them coming down that little short yeah, run yeah, to the right hander shoot, yeah. at turn seven and boss is just enough there and he's probably thinking oh, oh no and, and you know Bottas is sensible about it because James Wells came on the radio after and, and gave him the, the yes. whole station instruction and uh and Bottas basically said yeah we'll do that there was no there's no chippiness about it it was just kind of a no I'll I'll, I'll do that um which was just good from Boss's point of view because he's going to be kicking himself for the fact it's another race maybe he could have won, but because of safety car timing, this, that, and the other, it's gone wrong. Because of course he was leading the race when yeah, Vettel yeah. went off, having having passed Raikkonen. Oh, yeah, I appreciate that we haven't yet come come round to Sebastian, one of the most one of the biggest moments of the race. But but while we're still talking about team orders, uh, isn't it funny that Hockenheim again? has produced this team orders thing. And there was a moment in the race today when Kimi was leading and on, on an alternate strategy, I think Seb had tyres that were 11 laps fresher yeah. than him. Well, Kimi, Kimi had him. made his stop early because once Hamilton had come through and passed Magnussen, he was pretty close to a pit window. So they thought, well, we better bring Raikkonen in so that he'll That's come right. out ahead of Hamilton so it was a it was an early stop but there was, it was forced by Hamilton forced, arriving on the scene forced by, by, by so that, and that's what got Raikkonen out of the scene they were probably thinking of a two stopper at that stage probably yes, but, yeah. but then it became clear extending it was viable maybe and Sebastian was finding running behind Kimi that he was struggling he, he had there was a number of lockups wasn't there that he had and he was struggling to control the temperatures in his rears and ultimately the, the, the team go on at one stage he described over the radio the situation as silly <laughs> Well, it's silly season. Uh, and then he uh, uh, finally jock clear, a voice we don't hear on the radio very often. Um, engineering director at Ferrari came on and basically gave the order to Kimi to move over. Kimi, Sebastian is faster than you. But I quite liked Kimi's belligerence. It's like, if you want me to make way for him, tell me, is that what you want me to do? I, I think he's absolutely right. So actually, I was listening to a lot of Raikkonen's radio and there's quite a lot of... Uh, uncertain instructions given to Kimi. It's very, very bizarre. But personally, I understand why there was a period which rolled up to 2010 when we had the Massa-Alonso thing, the Fernando is faster than you messages from uh, from Rob Smedley, which led to Massa giving away victory, which actually would have come a year to the day Indeed, since yeah. his yeah. horrendous accident yeah. in qualifying at the Hungara ring. So it was just this this sort of perfect storm of, <laughs> of terribleness. At that point, <laughs> team orders were banned. That's true, yes. Now, this was a consequence of the fallout of the 2002 Austrian Grand Prix, mm-hmm. yeah. where Barrichello had been ordered Ferrari to let Schumacher passed. He decided to do it coming out of the last corner, and everyone was up in arms, and justifiably, it made F1 something, it made a mockery of F1. It, it, was, not, it was not great. So they did this stupid ban of team orders. So then it was always, oh, there's a braking problem, there's this. So they had to, to disguise it. Now, yes. the 2010 Hockenheim <laughs> thing showed it was a stupid rule that made no sense. So they, they unbanned it. But ever since then, people have had this thing about not doing it and pretending to do it. I remember one occasion, when they, remember when there was that Massa Bottas uh, argument with Williams in Malaysia, oh, yes, yeah, Malaysia in 2014, yeah, yeah. because Massa didn't want to let Bottas pass because Button was ahead of Massa. Massa couldn't do anything and the team wanted Bottas to have a little bit of a go. 
and Massa was like, oh, God, I can't do this. And I remember Claire Williams at the next race said, oh, it wasn't a team order, it was a team instruction. I sort of thought, <laughs> teams, t- a bit unfair to pick on, on one particular team because loads of them do this. But that was just, for me, the most clear example of how everyone ties themselves in these semantic knots about it. Yeah. And so I think... So they've got an emotive issue. Isn't exactly. They? I can't remember the exact wording, but Jock Claire basically said, do not hold Sebastian up, I think yeah. was the instruction. So Kimmy knew what that meant. But it's just like, come on, just say let him pass. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It's, it, it's understandable. I mean, Kimmy from a pure racing himself position will be thinking, well, maybe I can extend these tyres to the end of the race mm. or it's going to rain anyway and I'll regain track position. I'll keep, be able to keep track position and stay in the lead. So yeah, if it's a pure individual race, of course he want to do that and he'll do everything he can to, to kind of keep that. Vettel obviously out of sync, having done really well in the first part of the race. At one stage on the radio, he said, look, everything I built up in the first part of the race is being wasted here. So Vettel was annoyed. So it's a perfectly explainable situation. Good, simple, sensible, sensible move. You know, team orders are very emotive. People don't like them. I don't, I don't think anyone really likes them, but there is a time and a place for them and a reason for sometimes sometimes doing it. Because team orders does not necessarily mean you, James Roberts, will always finish second behind me going into the race. It could be one day it goes one way. Unless one day, you, yeah. Edge Straw, had that contractually written into your agreement with the team. Well, this, this, this does some, sometimes happen. And of course, I'm, I'm such a big deal. I would, of course, insist on that, on number number one status. And in fact, I'd have right to veto over my teammates. So well, indeed. I'd never have, you ever have a driver as slow as you alongside me. But, uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but Well, I do keep to the speed limits. Yes, in yes. In case uh, the authorities are listening. As we all do, as we as we all do. Not necessarily the right speed limits, but uh, I don't know how we do. Um, so... Yeah, team orders, it's a bit annoying, but absolutely logical. You know, imagine, imagine if after turning everything around, a one-two for Mercedes on home soil, Bottas and Hamilton had, had collided and wiped each oh, other out, yeah. which let's remember, it's happened with Mercedes drivers before. And then suddenly they're thinking, we've done this great recovery uh, with, with Hamilton, we've got a one-two. And then suddenly they give victory to, to Kimi Raikkonen with, a, with an injudicious moment. Now, come on, Ed, we must, 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 uh, as a former editor of F1 Racing used to um, tell us all the time, we must talk about Sebastian Vettel. Well, it, who, who drove superbly for Impeccably, flawless. Much, much of the weekend. Controlled it. You know, great job in the first stint. When you're leading at the start in the first stint, all you really need to do, well, all you do do, the days of someone pulling as big a lead as they can, they're gone. That's not what you do. You normally pull, you'll aim to, to build up maybe a four-second lead, something like that. You want to be insulated from the undercut where the car behind you stops earlier and different tracks, different tyres, different conditions. The undercut can be worth different amounts of time. But, you know, four seconds is quite a good target because that gives you a bit of change in case a back marker gets in the way or something goes wrong. That's quite a nice nice thing. So so Vettel built up his, built up his lead. Actually, he was, he was about five seconds ahead when he finally made his uh, his uh, his pit stop. So first stint, executed beautifully, and then the little kerfuffle with Kimi, and then he's leading. A few lock-ups. Yeah, yeah, there, there, there were a few. That there was certainly one in particular into the hairpin that was uh, that was reasonable, but he seemed to be doing all right. And, and when the rain came, he was doing fine. And in fact, it was Kimi who was struggling because when the, yes, Kimi did struggle, when yes. the rain came, the, the gap, um, you know, the gap for Vettel to Raikkonen was three seconds just under, and it quickly grew to 6.6 seconds, and Raikkonen got caught by Bottas. So things were going really well for Vettel. He had nine seconds. So he didn't need to to press on. And then the worst happened at the Saxco. Well, what can you say? There he comes into the stadium section. 
It's a very narrow part of the track. Um, he comes in too quick, doesn't lock up, but he just, he's just, it's just one of those really annoying shunts where you just sliver and you can just feel the car. Not, not that I've driven a Ferrari at the German Grand Prix and lost control of it, but you just know that as the car just understeers and there's nothing you can do about it, you can't turn, he's in the gravel and then bang, he's into the wall and, and you can see the frustration, you can see him banging his steering wheel he's there was a shot of him kicking gravel the first i was aware of it because obviously the the television pictures are just have a um a, um, a, a, a tiny tiny d- delay as, as they're all being processed and the first i was a, a aware of it was sitting in the media center and i heard a roar a, a noise c- coming from outside and of course we're behind the pits, and you've got that huge grandstand. And I thought, what's happened? And then must have, it was just a, a second later, it cut to, to Sebastian in the rain, in the gravel. Extraordinary. I mean, we were trying to work out when, when we last remembered a, a, a driver leading a Grand Prix who um, went out through a mistake of his own making. Yes, yeah, certainly a race leader having a what might be termed a single car accident is, is very, very rare. I need to look back in a little bit more detail, but even a, a really early look at, um, at, uh, at our Forex database that we can, our, our editor um, of Forex can, can come up with all the previous instances. And I think you may have to go back to, you know, instances 2003 USA, Mark Webber briefly got to the lead in, a, in, a, in the Jaguar in, in rainy conditions and he, uh, he went off. But most of them, most of the instances of drivers retiring from the lead are, engine problems mechanical failures we've had the of course the spanish gp collision so there have been those sorts of things but just a driver in control of a race going off it, it's it's so rare and it, and it was agonizing if you watch the onboard because he knows he's gone in too fast he can't apply any more brake without having a big block, yep. block up. And there's a little bit of locking up in the end but he'd already the lockup wasn't the initial problem it, that you know, so you sort of try and calm the car down so you're like you're trying to squeeze off as much speed as you can, as much brake as you dare. You can't put too much lock on, otherwise you're gonna, it's going to accentuate the problem. And so you're just hoping that you can just con- just calm everything down and get to the edge of the track and just hope the front bites. And that's what he's trying to do, but it's nowhere near. And while he's trying to do that, then the, the rear briefly gave out. And it, it was just this long, yeah, plenty of time to think about it. Yeah. That, that'd have been that, no, 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 no. There was a lot of swearing that went on between the moment he, he, he uh, started running off the track and hit the wall. But, but all, all credit to him for, he went off, apologised to the team. He's made no attempt to make any ridiculous excuses. He knows he's about to win the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim, which he's never done. He's never, never done. He's never won the really German Grand Prix at Hockenheim. Hasn't won it, won it this circuit since his F3 days. Big deal to him. Yeah, he's, he's pretty local. 20, 28 kilometres from Heppenheim, his hometown. Yeah. And so it's just in a moment, it's all gone. And in fact, uh, you know, the, that, that moment, I think it was like double-fisted five strikes of the steering wheel. It was just pure frustration. And, and I think that also reflects the fact that he knew he didn't need to do that. He wasn't having to push on. It was all under control and fine. He had a big lead. And it just, it just went wrong. Very it's tricky cool. conditions, admittedly. Yeah. but. You extraordinary, know, extraordinary moment. I mean, yeah, that will be replayed. It's one of those moments that will be replayed again and again and again. Sebastian Vettel in a Ferrari, crashing while leading in the rain at his home race, a race he's uh, at a circuit he he's never won at in Formula One. It's just um, mental. And of course, if he loses the World Championship by anything within that margin, 
depending on what happens in the rest of the year, that's going to be going to say, well, if you hadn't done that, because that was purely on you. <laughs> so that, and that's why it will, and that's why it'll hurt him. You know, he's got a long way to go still, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a big deal. And, and it, it, you know, it's easy to criticize. It is a mistake on his part. So yeah, top level of a Grand Prix drivers are meant to deal with that. These mistakes do happen. Drivers do, do make them, but it's just, it's horrendous for him. <laughs> it just happened at that moment. And the rest of the weekend have been, have been so good. If the rain doesn't come, he wins the German Grand Prix quite quite happily but it suddenly the the seasons uh, seasons turned on it on its head yeah extraordinary but uh, the one thing i i might just say um i don't know if, how relevant this is but that it, this is another example of an old school circuit um catching somebody out because there is very little runoff there um there's gravel i think at a modern circuit you could have easily have slid off and, and, and other corners on this lap as well, the turn six hairpin, you could easily have slid off, carried on and been able to resume. But at that particular corner, the Saxe curve, you slide off, you hit the gravel, you can't turn and you hit the barrier. So, so it's a real example of where old school circuits still can bite. And, and that's what's and that's what's so thrilling about um, old tracks. And do you know what? Um, uh can I just just mention a little bit about Hockenheim and this weekend because it's been two years since we've been here. There's a lot of speculation that this won't be on the calendar next year, which I think is a, would be a real shame. I think this is has proved to be such a, a, a great success, a sellout. Uh, they've had over seventy thousand people. I can't. I don't know the exact figures. I haven't got those in front of me, but um, I'm sure we can find those out. But it's been a huge sellout. And I was chatting to somebody as I was leaving the track tonight, and they said that only four seats in that whole grandstand section hadn't been purchased and paid for. And it's really telling. And I was trying to work out because the German Grand Prix hasn't had the success in recent years and in the years that Sebastian Vettel was winning for Red Bull. And I was trying to work out why. And I, I and I got the sense of speaking to a few locals who said that the key thing for them, and you went to the campsites and you saw it, is there's so many Ferrari fans and they are Schumacher Ferrari fans. And for them, finally, with Sebastian in a Ferrari, that he's taking on Schumacher's mantle and he's becoming, he's slowly becoming their hero. But I think Schumacher has such a high status and a high place in this country that it's very, very difficult for any driver to try and emulate and to, and to attract so much uh, fandom as he did. But I think slowly now they can see that um, someone almost described him as like he's a prodigal son who's 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 going through this process. So, so what I'm really hoping is that financially they've made such a success of this weekend and this race that it can be retained on the calendar. Because I think um, it's the German Grand Prix is a classic race, and now with Vettel in a Ferrari, that that hopefully this should be um, this should be. Uh, uh, without doubt, uh, a place to come every year on the calendar. I don't know what what your thoughts are. No, of Ed. course, it, of course, it should do. And the, the bottom line is that holding Grand Prix on the existing commercial terms is not exactly great. You can have a very successful race. This is the exact problem Silverstone has. They have a race that's been getting mighty crowds in recent years over a long time. And fundamentally, you say, well, we put this race on, we get this number of people through the gate, great. But because of the amount you're having to pay for it, 
it, it, it's, it's problematic. So I think the German Grand Prix future is all going to be tied in with the negotiations with Liberty Media. We've got lots of race promoters now pushing for a change of the model. So rather than paying these yearly fees with these enormous escalators that, that can hike the price up year after year, that people often when signing the deal, they people sign these long-term deals with these big percentage steps year on year and they, they seem not to understand compound interest um, so, some of the time so so yeah I, th- I think I, don't I, I think ultimately the German Grand Prix this year being a success thanks to Vettel gradually gaining ground and also a big Dutch influx lots of orange yeah, in, the, indeed, yes, in the grandstands yeah, yeah. as well it, it, it's kind of you can hold the most successful event you want but if the general terms don't evolve a little bit and become a bit more of a partnership rather than just F1 trying to take as much as it can out of the promoters then until that changes, I think German Grand Prix is going to be in trouble. Yeah, and, and of course, people will say, well, what about the Nürburgring? But that's in a fairly poor part of the country. It doesn't There's not huge sums of money there. To do. It's, a, it's, it's the same thing. It's, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a big problem. And in fact, if memory serves, the last time the German Grand Prix at Hockenheim was, was regular, um, there, were, there were certainly periods where the local government underwrote the losses of the event. Oh, I mean, oh, so they knew it would break even. Mm which is good. But then there were problems with, uh, I forget the exact run of events. I think that was also on a two yearly basis at that stage, but I forget the, uh, forget the exact history. But yeah, the German Grand Prix needs to be on the calendar. I agree. It's, it's French uh, Grand Prix. I love this summer. I love this summer period. Really yeah. hot Europe, continental um, weather. And you've got France, Silverstone, Hockenheim uh, and Budapest uh, coming up later this week. I mean, they're brilliant, aren't they? Most of them are. I've got to say the uh, the French Grand Prix, <laughs> for all its history and the fact I was delighted it was back, Paul Ricard has got uh, quite a lot of work to do, should we say. But let's give them the benefit of the doubt and hope next year we'll go back and uh, all will be brilliantly organised. We shall uh, we shall see. But yeah, and ultimately, what difference would a, would a Vettel win have, have made? He'd have got that home victory, winning the German Grand Prix for Ferrari. That would have, that would have been a big deal. So maybe maybe his uh, his off will have uh, have wider implications than uh, than just the. Uh, Can I just say also big weekend for Ferrari with uh, John Elkin appointed chairman of Ferrari and um, uh, Camilleri, who's also I think CEO. Yep, yep, CEO. So that's sort of taking the. Uh... But I think what's what's significant about um, about about them is is March only had his very much his own ideas he's he's gone into um loggerheads with liberty media about wanting the best deal for ferrari and not not entirely committing the the uh, the team um to the sport in the future uh he's also a, a, a huge fan of charles leclerc and um i i know after montreal he was very keen to get him in the car straight away and replace kimmy well, this is the really interesting thing, isn't it? The impacts on the on the driver market. You know, the political landscape is a big deal. Because Marcioni, I think, was quite happy to hold on as long as possible Indeed, and try and yeah. try and force kind of a no change in terms of the the monies they were getting, etc. While Liberty was trying to trying to change things. But yeah, in the immediate term, I think with Marcioni still there, Raikkonen is out. But suddenly, this change around changes things completely, and suddenly Raikkonen yeah. might be thinking, Do you know what? I've probably got a good chance of staying on again now, and Leclerc might have to might have to wait. Yeah, because there was talk uh, over the weekend is Kimi could get reprieve with with Sauber because of the Alfa Romeo uh, investment and connection there. And um, uh, but the, the question is, has 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 the deal already been done with Leclerc? So. Um, we don't know. It's, it's, it, well, I think ultimately they've got him under lock and key anyway, so it's kind of down to them what they, well, what indeed, they decide to yes. do. So yeah. I think 
I don't think they'd have had to lock into anything. So, you know, he'll be, if, if he's not in a Ferrari, he'll still be in a, in a Sauber and looking to a longer-term Ferrari future. There was a lot of chatter over the weekend and speculation, silly season. And it would be inappropriate to go into everything because things aren't locked down and um, uh, we, we don't know for sure exactly. It's very difficult to say who's going where. But, but I must say, looking at the grid, we've got, we've got things that are pretty certain now which is that Bottas has been giving, given an extension for another year at Mercedes, hasn't he? So he's got a new one plus one deal, so he's in for next year with an option for 2020. And Lewis has been confirmed now up until 2020 with Mercedes yeah, on a... Two-year deal. On a um, reported £40 million uh, deal. Uh, and then, so the questions immediately went to... Um, uh, Dan Ricciardo and uh, even though his deal hasn't been done yet it's pretty certain I think that the two yeah, that Red, Red Bull, Bull guys are going to stay what's yeah. he going to do go to McLaren <laughs> and then but but looking at every other team we've just talked about Ferrari but looked at looking at every other team there could be some change of some sort and well, there's, there's all sorts of, of possibilities aren't there the emergent Lance Stroll looking at maybe Force India there could even yep. be a, a Stroll Robert Kubica alliance at, yep. at Force India that's one option but there's many other things that could happen we've got what does it mean for Carlos Sainz Carlos Sainz could he go to McLaren does he get a new Renault deal does Esteban Ocon go to Renault because Renault won a French driver yep. does Stoffel van Dorn stay at McLaren or does he go somewhere else could he go to Sauber there's all of these uh, in the driver market and it's pe- really people, in flux at the moment. Exactly. People always like to say, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen. There's, yeah. there's lots of compelling reasons why certain things are going to happen, but it, it's it's like a house of cards in reverse building up the driver market in that it can easily collapse and you can have knock-on effects, just like something utterly unrelated to what's going on on track has potentially changed the course of Raikkonen and Leclerc's careers then some, something else could, could derail all sorts of drivers. So if you're someone like Science, is a great example, he's probably sitting there thinking, well... I could end up in a with a longer term Renault deal in an emerging works team. Great. Um, I could end up, you know, maybe if Ricardo doesn't complete the deal that he will, but there's a vague, there's a tiny chance that he could end up in a in a in the main Red Bull team. Um, if Renault don't want somebody, he can't do a McLaren deal. There's a reasonable chance of that. Or he can't get in somebody like Sauber. Also, would appeal a little bit. Then Red Bull might say, "Well, we'll give you a new deal, but I'm afraid we're going to part you with Toro Rosso." Well, I know you don't want to go, but if that science is only port in the storm, he'll <laughs> he'll go back to Toro Rosso. So science is sat in the th- thinking, I, "I could be I could be in five teams, or I could be sat on the outside going, what am I doing?'" Yes. <laughs> it's, it's it's amazing. It must be difficult for the drivers to be in that situation, and you know people will be chasing the drivers with a, with a funding. So obviously, Stroll appeals to people. Sergio Perez has got good backing and combines mm. that with being a very very accomplished driver. What a Haas going to do? Magnussen should be there next year. Roman Grosjean a good weekend performance. So two of the last three races have been have been strong for him. And Haas are thinking, well, we'd like to keep him because he's been a big part of the team, but. And yet, people are going to be knocking on the door at Haas, and again, someone like Perez. That you know, that all these they're, they're all just sort of. <laughs> rotating around the, the all the different teams sort of the bouncing around different destinations in the paddock and until you've got your signature on a contract you, you just don't know what's going to happen don't know what's going to happen it's, I mean, it's manner for heaven for us though isn't it because we love a bit of intrigue and we love the everyone we love loves the driver market but yeah uh, but for now the immediate attention will be on the hungarian grand prix coming up uh, coming up this weekend so uh thanks very much james roberts for your for your insight into lewis hamilton's i think it was described as a miracle Victory miracles do happen, 
Pete Bonington told they do. I the think I think he said before the race, or he said after the race, that he he gave a a, a very um, deep long prayer for today. But I've got to say that in the immediate aftermath of the race, when the heavens opened and the thunder um, struck and the I mean, the paddock was flooded, it was unbelievable. It was biblical in terms of the storm. So I think the German rain gods weren't happy that Sebastian Vettel had crashed out. But for Lewis's gods, they completely delivered. Exactly, exactly. And I think it's going to be very, very different in uh, in Budapest. We don't often get rain there. We have occasionally had uh, had wet races. I remember there was one year when there was a massive storm not long after the race in the paddock and everything went dark. That was uh, spectacular. So um, so thanks very much, James Roberts. Everyone keep an eye on autosport.com. We've got all the, the fallout from the, the German Grand Prix and the news and the latest in the build-up to the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend. Obviously, we'll have all the, the coverage there over the, the three days of, of that event. Autosport magazine out Thursday with the in-depth race analysis and uh, all sorts of features about the whole world of, of motorsport. Our plus subscriber area online, in-depth columns. You can do our driver ratings where you can not only see what ratings I give the drivers based on uh, my analysis, but also you can disagree with me strenuously and, uh, and vote for your own ratings. We uh, we track the, the reader ratings uh, over the season as well. And don't forget the latest issue of F1 Racing has hit the shelves. I would never forget that. Remind me again what's on the cover. Dan Ricciardo's on the cover. Red Bull, can he be a champion with this team? Is this the place for him to stay and to go and to forge his future success? Buy it now. Yep, so check that out. So pick up your copy of F1 Racing, Autosport. Check out autosport.com. Check out sister site, motorsport.com as well. Loads to read there for all of your your motorsport news for F1 and the the whole world of racing. So thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music. redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.